0: Welcome to Primordial Dao Present Dao, a podcast about all things Taoism. Our conversations and interviews will discuss ancient and modern Taoist wisdom teachings, spiritual practices, seasonal longevity and healing traditions, relationship guidance, and profound insights on walking an authentic and meaningful path, however you choose to walk it. Welcome home to the Ocean of Tao. In our practice, to remind ourselves on some aspect of consciousness, that those ancestors and those masters and, and those human beings who became what they became because of how much it enriched or healed their lives, that they're always with us and they're behind us.
1: Welcome to Primordial Dao, Present Tao. This is Episode 7, Teaching Qigong in 2022 a three-legged journey. Hey, Michael, how are you doing today?
0: I'm well, Ravi. How are you?
1: I'm doing great.
0: Yeah. Enjoying the spring slash summer as it comes into being?
1: Well, it's a little cold for my liking for spring. Um, I'm ready for that summer Okanagan heat. How about you? Uh, pretty, much,
0: pretty much the same. Uh, both Ravi and I live in British Columbia, Western Canada, and we're having this unexpectedly really slow, cold, wet spring summer thing going on. So, uh, that's what we're talking about. It's uh, it's a it's a little off for the seasons, and uh, this being a kind of Taoist podcast, uh, it's always good to be aware when the weather is out of balance because depending on you know how your internal organs and chi and energy systems are working. Sometimes cold and damp can be really hard for people.
1: Hmm. So I'm pretty excited about today because um, we're gonna get into uh, teaching Qigong in 2022. Now, the last couple of years have been quite different than normal life, we'll say. And uh, I'm really excited to get into this. So do you wanna start off by giving us just a quick overview of uh, what we're gonna speak about today?
0: Uh, Yeah, so, um, well, maybe let's just take, let's have that conversation in in a sec, because I think maybe it would be cool if people got to know how you and I know each other.
1: Sure. So, um, I'm actually one of Michael's students, and uh, I've taken the Soma Dao Qigong program. And, uh, yeah, we kind of just hit it off uh, a year ago, and, you know, uh, I've been going through the Soma Dao process, and learning a whole bunch about my body and my joints and everything and we're we're doing this uh new little venture with the podcast
0: yeah it's gonna be great and uh, maybe for the the people who are wondering what happened uh alex uh him and i have had this challenge of getting our work schedules to to line up to do the podcast and obviously with the pandemic and everything else the i don't know i think all the regular expectations are uh, less of an expectation and more of a hope. So um, because it's been hard to schedule that, uh, that's why I asked Ravi to come on and, uh, you know, help me keep the show going. So that's that's just a quick homage to our good friend Alex, and uh, hope he's doing really well. But today we're going to have a great conversation with Ravi about Qigong and why it's a three-legged journey and how things have changed, uh, um, I don't know, I guess in the last few thousand years and how Qigong looks today and stuff like that.
1: All right, so uh, so Mike, you want to just, or yeah, Mike, you want to just give us a quick overview of uh, of what exactly we're going to talk about today?
0: Yeah, well, I guess first thing is um, it might be a good idea to give people a sense of what my background is with Qigong specifically, because I think on the podcast I've talked a lot about Taoism and the Taoist mm-hmm. lineage I was raised up in. Um, so I might want to just speak to that, mostly just because for people who are Qigong practitioners or teachers. Uh, my background may or may not be that interesting, you know, for what they're looking for or what kind of guidance they might be looking for. So I wanted to speak to that, talk a little bit about some of the concerns and some of the truths that uh, I would say I've come to understand around contemporary Qigong and the way it's being presented and taught in, in the modern world. And uh in, in kind of springing off of that uh, towards the traditional way things have been taught and learned over a long period of time, to speak a little bit about the the Taoist relationship with practice, not just Qigong, but just with practice itself, um, and, and maybe a little bit about uh, how to frame that in the sense of a modern spiritual path and uh, a Qigong practice, a meditation practice, you know, just, just in the sense of like the philosophical background and, and Uh, foundations of both Qigong and Taoism, And uh, also, if we have time to get into it, to to bring up some distinctions for people, because there's traditional Qigong as it's taught, you know, in parks around the world. And then there's um, more professional Qigong teachers who are more consultants or therapists who who work with helping people solve problems. And then there's actual medical Qigong therapists who do like hands-on healing with people. And those things aren't in any way exclusive to each other, but they're definitely different steps, you know, on a ladder or a, you know, a, a set of stairs or something. Um, and and somewhere in the middle of all of that, I, I do want to speak to the the relationship of, of having a long-term practice, you know, because I'll probably say this about 500 times or, well, maybe less than that, but uh a long-term qigong practice in a way is like a marriage you know so um somehow with all of what i just said i'll we'll mix all that all of that together into a bucket and have a conversation and see what comes up (laughs) let's
1: do it and let's see what else comes up through all this all right so let's get started with uh with your background with uh, qigong uh how did you get started and Uh, uh what's your uh Resume, I guess.
0: My resume, yeah. So I was first exposed to Qigong, I guess that'd be the late 70s, so about 44 years ago, uh, when I started learning uh, judo and full contact karate and and stuff like that. And although the the Qigong I was learning were more like warm up -up exercises, to my surprise, um, I was kind of like almost as much into those things because of the way they felt as I was to all of the kicking and punching and, you know, throwing people on the ground and stuff. So although I didn't really understand much about what was going on, there was something in me that really like fell in love with self-regulation and expansive experience and meditative stillness and stuff. And uh, then for very unforeseen reasons, I ended up moving across the country. And the universe being a really mysterious and amazing place, I ended up up finding a teacher. Uh, This would have been 37 years ago, so I guess mid-80s or something. Um, And he was a lineage-holding teacher of both Shaolin practice and Taoist practice. And I had the great fortune of studying with him for about seven years almost every day, and sometimes hours a day. Uh Um, And uh, his capacity as a martial artist, as a Qigong teacher and practitioner was so pr- profoundly evident in in uh, so many ways that it was like meeting like a Jedi or something, like someone that you're looking at going, that's not normal, that's not possible, that's, you know, oh my God. And um, to have them actually show you the step-by-step ways to, to, I don't know, change the way your body works and uh, things like that. And um, yeah, I, every time I think about those memories, I'm just always blown away by the improbability or impossibility of some of the things that this man, uh, his name's Eric Tuttle, uh, was able to not only do, but actually teach. And especially, I think I was 17 when I met him and uh, totally life-changing experience. And then, uh, then I ended up moving back across the country to where I uh, grew up uh, on the West Coast and uh, decided I was either going to become a Taoist priest or a Chinese doctor because I wanted to, you know, make my life about all this stuff. And um, through, again, weird karmic luck and, and things like that, uh, literally a few days before I started sending money to a university in China to study Chinese medicine, I fell into, a, again, little karmic incident or accident and ended up studying in an oral tradition of lay Taoism and Chinese medicine. And that would have been about 28 years ago. And uh, that, I I mean, in the formal sense of uh, Qigong and Chinese medicine and martial arts, that makes me a 16th generation formal student or disciple of the Yi Dao Huan Yuan tradition of Taoist practice in Chinese medicine. And then years after that, I started a Chinese medicine school and developed a five-year Qigong uh, program for Chinese doctors and healers and, and things like that. And uh, that that's actually kind of the foundation of the Soma Dao uh, Qigong program is, is that initial uh, training for Chinese doctors uh, in Qigong. And then, um, I, I mean, this is kind of messing with the, the resume sequence here, I guess. But uh, I started teaching martial arts about 30 years ago and about 25 years ago um, after meeting, you know, constantly trying to find different teachers of different things. Uh, I was training with a man named Fu Qiong, who uh, was actually one of Bruce Lee's teachers in the Red Boat Wing Chun lineage, as well as studying some Qigong with him from Tian Shan, or the sort of Sky Mountain in, in China, which is a Taoist sort of gold mine, I guess. And uh, that was profoundly life-changing to cross hands with someone who was that above and beyond... Uh, anything I'd ever experienced as a martial artist, as well as uh, he once did a Qigong healing on on a, a broken bone I had in my hand, and my skeleton vibrated nonstop for three days, just after sitting at a table with him with his hand on the back of my hand as he smiled and talked and, you know, it freaked me out. <laughs> but after that, <laughs> I was again, like when I, I was speaking about Eric Tuttle, and when you meet someone who can do the impossible, uh, and see them make it possible, and then make it possible in you. I was like, okay, this this is this really happened. So I, I, you know, spent as much time as I could studying with him. And something switched in me as a martial arts teacher, and I actually stopped teaching traditional martial arts about 25 years ago, and then just focused on efficiency and combatives. And uh, part of it was economic because I got paid a lot better to teach like cops and prison guards and. Uh, paramilitary groups and stuff like that. And they're not that interested in tradition. They're interested in efficiency and effectiveness. So I spent quite a good chunk of my adult life actually just focusing on the efficiency of violence, which might sound weird, but um, I was curious to solve that problem and, and I spent a lot, a lot of time doing that. And then uh, Around the same time, actually, uh, I started practicing Chinese medicine and I, I, you know, ended up specializing in autoimmune disease and noticed that uh, this would have been around 2002, that a lot of my autoimmune patients and complex illness patients had significant trauma. Uh, in their lives. So I decided I'm going to go and study uh, somatic therapy and trauma therapy and the neuroscience of trauma. And uh, part of that is because I had a pretty traumatic childhood and I think I was somewhat consciously, somewhat unconsciously trying to help myself work some stuff out. But at the same time, I was really quite passionate about um, how how else I could help people Um, because, you know, being a doctor is either something you can do very Um, arrogantly, or you can do it very passionately. And I guess I'm a pretty passionate person, so I dove into that. And it blew my mind that the same things I had learned studying Chinese medicine in that Taoist tradition, uh, which is very, very old, uh, and it has a really unique approach to Taoian and Qigong for healing, the way that that system was taught from a purely Taoist Chinese medicine point of view was almost exactly the same paradigm, the same practices, the same perspectives, although using different terms, as modern trauma therapy was, which was for me a bit of a smack yourself in the forehead. Like who'd have figured that? <laughs> and um, that's when I started teaching uh, Dao Yin as a form of uh, trauma therapy. And eventually that became the Soma Dao Qigong program. Uh, which you've gone through the first you know, part of uh, already. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my background. So for people who are uh, Qigong practitioners and, and maybe martial artists, um, the rest of this conversation is gonna be based on that experience. So there's lots of other experience and other, other people that I'm sure have way more knowledge and expertise and things that I don't know about, but that's the foundation I'm gonna be sharing from.
1: Very cool. So when you were going through even like the efficiency and like the hard style martial arts, um, were you still aware that there was a trauma component in your experience?
0: Uh, No, that took me, um, when when was it? It was 2007 when uh, I think things just sort of naturally were ready to kind of open up and unravel for me. And then I definitely came to the awareness that uh, the reason I loved standing toe to toe with one, two or three people with or without weapons was because I was addicted, in a way, in, in, in my nervous system to uh, some of the violence I experienced as a, a young child. And and that's a weird thing to say, and I don't mean addicted like I, I really like the taste of, you know, Jägermeister or something. It's more that there's a really interesting thing about trauma science that your brain actually produces certain opiates when you're in the same kind of stress uh, conditions that you had during traumatic experiences and especially early childhood experiences. So uh, I I came to realize with some humility and, and humor that I I loved standing there. And then why I had gone from a traditional martial arts teacher to a more, you know, combatives teacher was there was a part of my brain that just literally was getting opium, you know, or endorphins from getting as close to actual serious violence as I could get away with as a martial arts teacher. (laughs) So, you know, Uh, I've learned a lot uh, actually Uh, about myself and other people and the kind of humility and compassion and patience I've I've come to have for myself and everyone I've ever worked with since then as a doctor is just like, yeah, there's so many layers of being and conscious and unconscious things in, in us humans that, um, Good, good to be slow and careful and mindful with, with what I'm doing because who, who knows what's underneath of each layer of the proverbial onion and in people's lives and their past and, and things like that. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I you know, had those experiences because it's made me a much more compassionate and patient and caring, you know, uh, clinician, So
1: That's really cool. It's really cool how you went from like really hard style, but like, I feel like there was something inside of you that like that always knew. That's why even when you started doing the heart style stuff, you really fell into that uh, the qigong stuff. Because maybe there's a part inside of you that was like, oh yeah, like there's something here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, maybe unconsciously, but something I have come to recognize. Um, I guess I guess I've been a clinician about twenty seven years as. People will remember things from their past when they have the inner resources to adapt to those memories and and those truths about them and about life in the world. so you know you you you're not you're not going to be consciously experiencing certain memories or or certain things until you're actually consciously ready for what you're holding on to unconsciously
1: so that like involved like everything like diet, exercise, all the like you'd have to kind of build your vitality to a point of where your body's ready to express or go through some of these well, I mean, past that's,
0: events. That, I, I Yeah, totally. I, I mean, But I, I think I would want to say that if we want to be more resourceful, it might be because we want to be more generous, more uh, effective in our work, more potent as a human being, maybe more driven to success for some people, uh, more able to manifest the, the things that you know, we want to have, the kind of life that we really feel called to have. So being resourceful in itself is its own kind of uh, self-rewarding gift. But at the same time, the more resourceful you are for your life as you understand it now, the more you're resourceful for whatever might come around the corner, like a pandemic or memories of childhood trauma. You know, and it's interesting in Chinese medicine, one of the first things you learn as a principle is called fu zheng shu xia which means to assist your adaptability and and your resolve and your capacity to heal while getting rid of the things that are erosive and you know toxic and destructive and and stuff like that very cool so before we maybe move into anything else i just want to say very quickly i guess two things one is although all of that may sound like my experience of, of of who i am and what i do is you know some kind of badass experts or, or, or teacher or whatever and i don't know that's not really my perception my perception is that i i'm a very passionate devoted student and i'm a very playful and silly student <laughs> and um i think that's the most important thing for anyone at any stage of uh learning or teaching or as some people like to call mastering that we Uh, We get wherever we're going because of how completely open we are to learning. And that's like a superpower. And uh, I've had the good fortune of having enough teachers to keep reminding me that no matter what, you know, you know, some martial arts have belts or whatever, no matter how, you know, many trophies you get or, you know, whatever you get that proves something about you, unless you're going to stop there, you know, and clutch white knuckled to that belief that now you're egoically that person. Um, option B is stay playful, stay silly, stay, stay curious, stay connected. Um, and you never know what the universe might be willing to show you about you or the world or about Qigong or about you know meditation or bigger truths in the world. But the more serious you are, I think the less you're going to learn the more playful you are, the more you're going to accidentally just get stuff. <laughs> so having shared all that about my background, I'm curious if you'd be willing to share a bit about your background and how you got into all of these things and, you know, how we eventually met.
1: Yeah, sure, Mike. So um, I grew up in Osoyas. Um, my family background and my ancestry is from Punjab, which is in northern India. Um, So it was a big difference and it was a big change growing up in kind of like a Western system. And the first thing that really spoke to me is, you know, roughly, it's probably been about seven or eight years now. um, I had run into an indigenous medicine man from the Northwest Territories. And I had the good fortune of him being in Kelowna where I was living at the time. And I started spending, or I started doing these weekly meditations with them. And as I started going through these meditations, I was like, kind of similar to the experiences that you were having, where I would leave these meditations and I'd be vibrating, or I wouldn't be able to sleep, or or I'd be having all these crazy experiences. And so I was like, okay, like, there's something real here. And uh, so that kind of started my my journey into uh I guess, my relationship with myself. And uh, so about maybe two years into that relationship, uh, Joe was his name, and he had mentioned, hey, have you looked into Qigong? It might be good for you. And that was the end of that. And uh, I did some Googling and didn't really find anybody, so I was like, okay, whatever. And uh, it wasn't till about maybe three years later where you know I hopped on my bike and I was biking down to the beach and I had my journal and I was going to do some writing and I go and I sit down and uh, I start writing and all of a sudden it just clicks and I don't know what the thoughts were, what the vision or whatever it was, but the profound knowing is, oh, Qigong is the next thing. And I was pumped. So I ended up going to, uh, (laughs) I ended up going on YouTube and finding, I just typed in Qigong and there was a, an older Chinese lady teaching uh, the eight pieces of silk brocade. And uh, so six months prior to me meeting you, Mike, I just sat in my room every morning and I would do the 20 minute Bad jin. and uh, I started feeling more relaxed. I felt my day went by better and uh, I started making a tiny bit of progress and kind of laying the foundation for when we met, um so Joe again had uh, he actually came to visit you. I believe he got some acupuncture, and uh, so in similar indigenous fashion, <laughs> hey, I met this guy named Mike. Uh, he teaches Qigong. you might want to look into this. it might be good for you and uh so yeah, I ended up finding your website, and there was so much information there, so i uh I started reading and then eventually I reached out to you and, uh, you know, um, you have an indigenous background as well. So it was kind of like, it was the perfect fit. It was this whole new Qigong thing with this indigenous foundation that I was, um, kind of already familiar with. Then I started studying with yourself and it's, I'm about a year into that journey and, uh, yeah, it's not what I expected, but, uh, it's it's everything that you say. It's it's playful, and uh, there's been quite a few ahas, and I really enjoy the teaching style of the humor because even when I'm going back into your videos, there's times where I where you say something really silly, and it just it makes me burst out laughing. So um, I really like that style where it's uh it's kind of informal as opposed to formal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad glad to know that that's something that tickles you in a good way. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because that, that, that is the, I think, the evidence of the indigenous component of uh, what anyone with that background would be doing was, would would be that every once in a while they 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 test if you're getting serious by doing something really off the wall or whatever. And I, I've had the really, um, I don't know, I, I don't have words for how grateful I am for the time I've spent with the elders I've learned from and that was always the thing that blew me away is that at the least expected moment, something really hilarious would happen. And it was almost always at just the perfect time before I got really, you know, morose or serious or caught up in uh, egos and stories and, and things like that. And um, that, that's a fine art in life, I think is knowing when to pop the, the bubble of the, the brain and bring people back to the heart, you know?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a skill. So, where do you want to go from here, Mike?
0: I, I suppose the next thing I, I would want to do, because I do want to speak about, you know, the our, our core conversation is, you know, about teaching qigong in, in the modern world or in twenty twenty two, and um, maybe I'll just speak to the the true a certain couple of truths, if 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 I could, um, but just given what we were speaking to in, in the indigenous context, now I'm, I'm sort of shifted in my mood. So I'm going to speak to this in maybe a, a slightly different way. Um, the first truth I would want to share is that it's so important to honor the, the ancestors, the traditions, the countless generations and thousands, literally thousands and thousands of years that people have been exploring, and experiencing, and sharing, and refining what we now call qigong. And, maybe to honor and express the gratitude I have for everyone who carries uh, any of what you might call the ancient scrolls, or the medicine bundles, uh, or the bad jin, or you know, whatever uh, qigong people may be carrying. Uh, especially when the The way it was learned is in that traditional way and and spending time with the elders and the teachers and and uh, the nuances that only, you know, learning Qigong that way um, makes possible and uh, also honoring the rebels and the clowns, uh, you know, who add and subtract and, you know, do what they do with this practice that keeps it alive and keeps it contemporary and meaningful to, the experience of the generation that they're in because that's what we're receiving now is, is countless, you know, people of unknowable skill and experience and maybe even trauma who, who have left us with all of these practices and teachings as we understand them today. Um, cause it's truly a treasure chest of, uh, opportunity and, uh, practice. You know, and that, that's a big difference with, with, I think, modern perception and traditional perception is, modern perception is, is there a pill for that? Can someone stick a metal rod in my head so I can suddenly know qigong or kung fu like it's the matrix? Or, you know, instant gratification? And the real treasure is that it's a lifelong ocean to swim in, and there, there's no, no way to replace that in, in any kind of hurry. And once we have a good practice, we can honor the practice by practicing and and learning uh, as as we allow ourselves to you know seek our own truths and to open our meridians and and to connect to aspects of being human that Western society and medicine and science are gonna make really funny facial expressions uh, anytime you talk about them. So and. Uh, Maybe to send out a, a bit of a prayer that you know may each of us who practice and may anyone who hears this conversation find that zheng chi that you know adaptability and resourcefulness uh, and and inner inner knowing and strength to choose wisely you know and to practice with a uh, willingness and openness and playfulness and you know a, a bit of devotion you know to the, the things that we may experience as consciousness as. We get out of our own way as egos, and uh, may we also, uh, as practitioners, take some intuitive pauses sometimes, so that um, things can shift and settle and build up and and get itchy and weird sometimes. So that uh, our practice isn't just uh, mimicking and and you know rinse and repeat. It's it's an alive, an aliveness to how we feel, and. Um, I feel compelled in this moment to just take a moment and experience the gratitude and appreciation for all of those who've come before us and who, uh, make these kind of conversations possible. And, you know, in, in that respectful moment and, and this moment we're sharing right now in our practice, to remind ourselves on some aspect of consciousness, um, that those ancestors and those masters and and those human beings who became what they became because of how much it enriched or healed their lives, that they're always with us and they're behind us uh, in our practice. So if if we can be authentic and walk in a good way and learn to become a human being, you know, we say Chun in Taoism, which honors the indigenous people of Asia in a way. Uh, that that's where all of these things come from and that's where we're actually going back to is that experience of being uh, an expression of life you know uh, in participation with life you know although it's 2022 you know we still belong in the world and we're still a part of it.
1: Very cool. I just I I gotta appreciate that. Um, It's one of those so one of those moments where you know the words just don't add anything
0: yeah silence is golden but silence makes for a very i don't know boring podcast, I guess podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so kind of shifting gears a little bit from there and uh kind of coming into qigong today and and, and what do we need to do and and you know how have things changed because uh for yourself you started practicing in the 80s i was born in 89 so you've been practicing longer than i've been alive um so what do you see differently um from that contemporary approach as opposed to the traditional style that you've learned back uh in china and uh, with some of your teachers
0: um well i think the most important thing is the word contemporary um it's 2022. I I live in 2022 or recording this podcast in 2022. And no matter where you're learning uh, Qigong or teaching Qigong, you're teaching it to contemporary people. And we've all spent the last two years for the most part restricted and constrained in certain ways, energetically. And even if there was no pandemic, we've all spent, you know, most of our lives, um, in chairs looking at screens compared to all of human history. So when when I first think of uh, teaching a new group of people, you know, and if I'm traveling doing seminars or if if I'm teaching a specific course or something, that step one is how do we help people um, meet the needs of of adapting and, and responding and healing from a life that keeps us in chairs and you know there's this meme that came up years ago that sitting is the new smoking and if you go into the clinical research on that sitting is absolutely the new smoking in the sense of long-term health catastrophic negative results so instead of deciding that i'm going to put on a qigong show or try and make people do anything that uh May on the outside have some kind of woohoo quality to it Um, as those things always happen anyway is to really help focus on that need you know the need to reorient the body to where is my pelvis where is you know how do, how do I get you know into the same kind of posture and, and way of walking and way of standing that all animals that don't live in chairs still have in their structure so that that's kind of my my first you know little uh passion project is how do I help people bend and tone their core and release their what we call qua your you know your groin and hips and all the weird muscles that are uh you know caught up in this way of sitting and even going to the bathroom in 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 a seated position. I mean you may or may not have have seen these Ravi but there's these little you know, better pooping stools you can put in front of your toilet to lift your legs up, so you're more or less in the position that people have been in for the last two million years pooping, right? And there's actually, from a you know clinical point of view, changes in your anatomy and structure that actually make your ability to go to the bathroom more healthy and efficient and and uh uh often astoundingly effective in, in helping you know how you feel in your body change just from those little changes so i'm, I'm not going to talk about pooping anymore i'll focus more on qigong but uh how, how do we you know in those classes really bring people into that part of their body and to wake it up again and uh open it up but without the external what i call the instagram reference of you know, like how far can you bend or how far you, you can turn it's more about how much your whole body can engage in what we, we call clinically called tensegrity so that all of your tissue your fascia your meridians your anatomy your joints are all collaborating in in reawakening you know just proper movement proper standing posture proper crouching proper stepping uh well proper might be the wrong word but ancestral <laughs> healthy you know uh most our, of our evolutionary past has has worked in a certain way in modern life is the new smoking, and, and it's because of those changes that it's it's causing those problems. And also, I guess because of my style, helping people be playful and to smile more and to, to find pleasure and, and uh, to celebrate those aha moments, you know, instead of making it about magic meridians and uh, dantians full of chi that you can throw at people like it's a video game or something like that. To, to connect in with just sensation and sensuality and, and release and opening. Um, so we can be more about being embodied than being egoic. Um, and I would also say, you know, in the sense of contemporary practice, we're also dealing with these unexpected, unrealistic expectations because of movies and cartoons and people who write books that try and sell you on the idea that you can do things that are outside of the, the realm of what um, is, I guess, our consensual realities to such a degree that it, it exaggerates a, a quality of ego and a quality of expectation and a quality of, you know, being in some way powerful or better. And although some of those those things are definitely uh, going to happen if you practice long enough, it's to kind of diminish those weird, unexpected, uh, unrealistic expectations that you can become a Jedi in, in a year or two in, in the context of Qigong and martial arts. And uh, you can completely rewire your nervous system and, I don't know, manifest the your, your big mansion in five cars. And in, in a meditation session because you're, you're so focused on the material world. And for me, that that's sort of a bit uncomfortable that, that people are taking these ancient shamanic traditions from either Daoist practice in Qigong or from indigenous traditional practices like visioning and trying to turn it into an economic, you know, force of power and control. And, and those things, you know, as interesting as they may be on one level of existence, they're about not right now. They're about not like it is now, they're about, I'm going to only be okay when everything is better, powerful, or rich. And although that may for some people work out to be true, most of the people who are, you know, powerful and rich, when you ask them if they're in some way happier or more relaxed or, you know, more at peace, they're like, nope, this is just a lot more paperwork and a lot more of a hassle and a lot more anxiety about what if someone steals my stuff. So it's. I'm not diminishing the, you know, the the power of um, having advantages, but when we're focused on some abstract other world, other self, other future, we're not in the now, in the body, in the chi experience, in in the the shamanic, you know, interactions with uh, other qualities of, of existence because it's all about like the economics of if I do this I get something else instead of if I do this this is what I'm actually experiencing right now because I'm doing this right now and and it takes it, it takes some time to help people value your present existence and your present experience and your present connection and your sensations as the richness of life instead of someday I'll look like this or own something I've always wanted and those things are interesting in the way that they are. But it's it's a very easy hijacking for people to sell now based on wanting to control then, you know, some future then. And, and these practices really only work when you're really, really 110%, you know, in a state of almost wonder at what's going on right now.
1: Yeah, the way that I would describe that, and this is a way that I haven't spoken it like this before, but it's like uh, time disappears, and then there's a very distinct a very distinct moment between when there's time in your psyche or in your mind as opposed to when you're in that state where it's like just timeless.
0: Yeah, and that's when you know you're in the now is because now is an ocean, it's not a t- it's not a ticking clock.
1: Cool,
0: and, and in, in a way, what we're speaking to is is from a a, a Taoist teaching and a fundamental principle called Tsiran. And I talked about that. Uh, I think it was episode three uh, in the podcast uh, about what those characters mean and kind of what they imply about life. But the the idea of Tsiran really means about being spontaneous, being present, being your authentic self, which you can't know. You can only make room for. Uh, as you discover it moment by moment, and choosing to be in the world on the world's terms before you start, you know trying to manifest your your, your perfect future, uh, so at least you know yourself in the world as the world, and maybe even for the world, you know. Uh, Saran also implies a, a certain sense of kind of sacrifice. Um, because change is always changing. You know, the old Taoist saying change is, you know, the only constant in the universe. So if change is that fundamental and, and in a way that necessary, we're going to have to sacrifice certain parts of the future or the present or the past to be more in the, the now, to be more present and, and aware and conscious to those necessary changes so that um, we're, we're really agile. You know, it's it's I guess a vision that just popped into my mind is, You know, one experience of flying is to be the person in first class, one experience of flying is to be the person in the back of the plane next to a screaming baby, and you just get on the plane and get through the challenging or perhaps opulent experience of going on a whatever number of hours flight, and it begins and it ends and then the plane ride is over. And then there's the experience of the pilot who, moment by moment, has many, many things going on and things to do to just keep the plane taking off and flying and not crashing and then landing and not crashing. So, you know, for, for the, the, in the Qigong men- men- metaphor, uh, you're the pilot. You know, the only way you're going to really refine your ability to, to fly or to practice or to breathe or to even be still is, is to be in the now. And to be vastly in the now and to feel every nuance because who who knows what that if you're the pilot you know if that the plane suddenly shudders in a certain way you you might want to pay attention to what that that suggests and what you might want to do and how to adapt to that you know whereas if you're in the back of the plane you're just like oh god now we're hitting turbulence you know and that's what qigong is not about going into automatic it's it's coming into the the sensual existence of of being movement and stillness and breath and expression and intention and release and receiving and healing and and all of that and you can't do that when you're i don't know scrolling your inner ego scroll of things that you want or that you don't want or you know and all of that so um so Ren really is that that principle of how present can you be how how much of a completely coherent like very skillful pilot can you be through every movement, through every breath. And I don't mean that in a serious way. I mean that in a sensual, playful, dramatic. um, I'm moving around in my chair right now, like I'm, I don't know doing belly dancing or something, because it it just reminds me about how, how we have to get out of our head and then get out of our head and then get out of our head. Because as soon as we have a moment in the body, the head's going to say, oh, that's probably this, or oh my God, I've got a tumor or, you know, and then the head's right back running the, you know, flying the plane instead of allowing the embodied experience to be the plane and the pilot. You know, that, that takes some time, but that's what Saran really implies is, is, is coming into being and uh, you know, if it's a thousand times a day where you have to remind yourself, oh my God, I'm, you know, 30 years in the past right now or I'm five years in the future right now. And sometimes that's useful, but a lot of the time it's it's just the mind running around in circles. And, you know, it it takes time to, to really anchor your practice and anchor your chi and, you know, be your body.
1: Definitely. And uh, a year into this journey, I, I definitely am painfully aware maybe uh of that experience but uh one day at a time
0: right uh it seems to be that's the plan um i've never had more than one day at a time and you know (laughs) (laughs) if i do i might want to go and have a conversation with someone who could make sure i'm okay because that doesn't sound i don't know what i'd be looking for at least purposefully
1: Well, Mike, that's given uh, me and I'm sure the listeners a lot to think about. Uh, Why don't we take a short break and we'll come back uh, for part two of this episode.
0: In the spirit of patience, let's take a short intermission. When you are ready for part two, tap the link below.